Good morning. It's great to see everybody who's here. We have a great crowd. It's a beautiful day, and it's the Lord's Day. It's a day for us to reflect, to remind ourselves of the great sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for you and for me. And we want to just welcome everybody who's here. There are familiar faces. There are new faces. We have brethren who have visited us from sister congregations. We have visitors from the community. And we just want to tell you that you are our honored guests and that we love you and we're thankful for this time together to worship our God and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The study for just a little while this morning is titled The House of Mercy, Healing and Helping the Hurting. And our account or our story for our study is going to come from John chapter 5. We're going to stay there for the most part of our study. That's John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. You know, before I left for Africa, part of being a preacher is you're always thinking about what to teach and what to preach, and you're constantly thinking forward about what do we as a congregation need to hear? What do individuals need to hear? What do I need to hear? And time and time again in my short experience or my short career as a preacher, it's been just go back to Jesus. Just talk about Jesus, just goes to his life. And one of the things I love about learning and studying the life of Christ is that how he interacts with people, how he knows when to say something, when to not say something, when he knows to touch, when he knows to back away, what he knows to ask. His human interaction is far greater than anyone else I've ever learned from. And this is a story that helped me in my time in Africa. What do you do? You, you travel across the world. you got a bunch of people who don't know you. You don't know what they need, but you know who they need. It made it a lot simpler because we all need the same person, and his name is Jesus. So with this being said, let us read the verses of our section. The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Within these verses, the Apostle John introduces us to the setting of our story, the pool of Bethesda. Many scholars believe that when John speaks of the healing power of this pool, he is simply repeating the mythical and mystical beliefs of the time. In other words, he was simply stating the explanation of a local superstition. There was nothing actually truly powerful about this water, but this is what the locals, this is what the people of the times believed, so this is why John wrote it in this way. And this should not be a foreign concept to us. Still in our times, there are people who believe there are shrines, there are statues, statues, there are steps 
that are special. They have a mystical power. It was the same back then as it is today, but none of these things have true power at all. In fact, because of this superstition belief, because of this superstitious belief, people with various diseases and infirmities gathered around for the stirring of the water. You'd have sick people, blind people, lame people, people who couldn't walk. They would wait beside the pool of water every day, all day, because they thought when this angel comes and stirs this water up, if I get in, I'll be healed. I'll be taken care of. With all of these various types of people there, we can see that this place as we think about it, it becomes more like a hospital. In fact, this is what scholars and commentators speak of when they describe this place. They say, the five porches or covered colonnades were like a hospital filled with a crowd of sufferers. Another commentator said, these five porches were ancient versions of present-day hospital wards. The sick were brought on their stretcher pallet beds and laid there. There were no nurses, and it seems as if every man was left to care for himself. In Palestine then, as in Asian countries now, the incapacitated were the cast-offs of society. Their only means of livelihood was begging or stealing. When we paint the picture, we see... This is not a happy place. This is not a place you want to be. If you're there, something's bad. Something's wrong. You would think that these were the people who had no hope, but what we know for certain is that they still had a little bit. They had not given up. They had pain of various sorts, diseases of various sorts, but they did not give up. Bethesda in Hebrew literally means the house of mercy. The house of mercy, the title of our lesson. You know, when we think of such a poor and pitiful place where all the sick people gathered, this hospital, you know what it reminds me of? Of us right now. Because us right now, the church of God, the church of Christ, is the spiritual hospital for sinners. This is spiritual sinners anonymous. This is sinners anonymous. Welcome. I'm the host. We're all here people who need help, who are looking for hope, and we've not given up. We have problems of various sorts, but we have the same solution. And like I said earlier, his name is Jesus. There is a man here that Jesus is going to hone in on, and he's going to help. A lot of times when people think about church they think to themselves, I'm not going to go there. There's just a bunch of hypocrites. They got a bunch of problems. Would you get mad at any sick people going to the hospital? No, me neither. That's what you'd expect. Jesus came for this very purpose, to heal and protect all men. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're sick, if you're hurting, if you need healing, you've come to the right place this morning. We're in the spiritual house, the spiritual hospital of God, the church of His Son. This story continues 
Jesus focuses on one man in John chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years. You know how many days that is of being sick? That's 13,870. That is 1,976 weeks. That is 456 months. And these numbers are right because Chase did them, not me. So if you check these numbers and they're wrong, you've got to talk to him after church. But because of that, these numbers are right. Think about this. 38 years of being sick. Have you ever been sick? Me too. Have you ever been sick for 38 years? Me neither. The Bible doesn't even tell us exactly what's wrong with this man, but we get the impression that he can't walk. He is somewhat immobile. immobile. He can't walk. He's paralyzed of some sort, but we don't know the exact or specific disease. This man, he's been sick 38 years, 13,000 days, 1,000 weeks, almost 500 months. How would you feel being sick that long? Would you have any hope? Would you think you'd get better? Or would you just accept this is how life is? Nothing's going to improve. Why even live? Very tempting to think that way. In fact, we know people... They have problems physically they've been born with and they have struggled all their lives. All they know is sickness and disease. This is kind of like this man. Perhaps he was healthy. Perhaps he grew up. Perhaps he became an adult. But somehow, some way, someday, he got sick. But he's not lost hope because he's still by the pool. There's still a chance in his mind. The story picks up in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus approaches this man, this sick man, and he asks him a very interesting question. He asks him, do you want to get better? Do you want to get better? Do you want to be made well? Isn't it obvious? You got a sick man at a pool he views as the hospital. This is his one-way ticket to getting better. Jesus knows all things. He knows the heart, souls, and minds of the people. He knows the past, the present, and the future. Doesn't this sound silly? Doesn't this sound unnecessary? Doesn't this sound like a senseless, needless question? Isn't it obvious? The sick man needs to get help. He wants to get help. But you know, the more I think about this question, the less silly it becomes. You see, I'm learning what Jesus already knew. Jesus knew something that a lot of us overlook, and that's this. Not everybody who's sick wants to get better. Not everybody who's sick wants to get better. 
In my short time as a Christian and as my short time as a preacher, I've come across people back at Oakdale or wherever I travel across the country, and sometimes a parent will come up to me and go, Isaac, will you talk to my relative? Will you visit so-and-so? Will you talk to my daughter? Will you talk to my son? And I'm always humbled when I'm asked that. Because I think to myself, who am I? Why would you think that I could help? It's a very sincere compliment. And so I do. I'll go and visit whoever. You know what? You know what I've learned? It only takes about five or ten minutes for me to realize the parent wants the child to have help. The child doesn't want help. That's how it is with a lot of us. We all have people we want to get help, but it does not matter if we want them to get help if they don't want the help. Jesus asked this question because it's psychology 101. You cannot help someone who does not want to be helped. There's nothing that a family member can do. There's nothing that a preacher can do. There's nothing that the church can do. And there's nothing that Jesus can do. If someone does not want help, they cannot be helped. Now the million dollar question is this. Why don't some people want to get helped? Why do some people like being sick? Well, there's a few reasons. There's a few reasons. The first one is this. Some people do not want to be made well because they do not believe they are unwell. You cannot change what you do not acknowledge or admit. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Here the Apostle Paul teaches the church in Corinth that there are not many people who are called wise, mighty, and noble. This does not mean that God does not value the soul of someone who's wise or wealthy. In fact, we have other scriptures in the Bible such as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 that teach that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved. But Paul here clarifies there's a reason why not many wise, noble, or mighty people obey. It's because of arrogance. Arrogance and pride. A prideful person does not think they need help, and even if they do think they need help, they're going to try and do it their way. They're going to get to the pool how they can on their own. They don't care about what you or I think or what we say, which is extremely frustrating. And you know, I'm not a parent, obviously, but I sympathize with parents because I know to a degree the feeling of this. When you know what someone needs, but they're too proud to ask you for help. When you know what your child needs, it's very frustrating, I imagine. When you know you've been there, you've done that, and you could save them from a whole life of trouble, but they got to learn on their own. And they have to be humbled, like Scott preached last Sunday. Sometimes the prodigal has to leave home and be humbled and hit rock bottom before they admit and acknowledge 
They need help, and they can't do it on their own. The Bible says in John 14 and 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to get help or to go to heaven. The only way is Jesus. We all must humble ourselves before him and allow him to help us. Reason number two. It is possible for someone to be in a situation for so long that they begin to deny how bad their situation really is. And they forget how good their situation could be. You know, there are a lot of people, they're spiritually sick, they're spiritually weak, they leave the church. I believe this with my whole heart. Nobody ever woke up... Today's the day I'm quitting. Today's the day I say no to heaven. I've had it. That never happens. You know what does? It's a decision that turns into another decision, and then a few months go by, and it's easier than it was six months ago because we've let sin creep in little by little, and now it's just some big, huge problem. We can't go back. We can't go back. We feel like it's too big, I can't handle this. It's better, it's easier if I just quit and I just surrender. I just give up. Why even try? That's how a lot of people feel, and that's why some people don't want help. They feel like it's too much. It's too difficult. It's far easier to say I quit than to say I've got a problem with alcohol or I've got a porn problem or I've got a gambling problem, or I love cheating on my spouse too much. It is far easier to just say, I give up, than it is to change and to confront the problem. And this is why many people leave, because the problem grows too big. The third reason why some people do not want to get well is because they don't want to change. They don't want to change. Change is difficult and it's painful. And change for me, it's kind of described like this, or this is how I feel. You ever stay up late? You ever stay up late? Maybe you stayed up till 7 a.m. or 5 a.m. What did you do that next day? For me, the next day is wasted. I got to sleep in. Have you ever had a family member or a loved one, they walk in your room, you've spent all night up, and they peer back the curtains, or they open your blinds. How do you feel? How do you react? With me, the first thing I do is I scream, I put the blanket over my eyes, because the light's painful. When your eyes are accustomed to darkness, it pains your eyes. Jesus said it like this. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. In this analogy... The Bible teaches us 
The reason why people don't turn to Jesus is because they love the darkness. And it pains them when they're exposed to the light of God's word. And God's word exposes, you're doing this wrong, you probably shouldn't do that, you can't do that, and you need to live this way. It's painful. It's painful when you're accustomed to living a life of sin and someone, someone shows you the truth. So for some people, that's a good enough reason. It's too painful. I've had enough. One philosopher said this, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Another man said this, Tony Robbins, the modern-day motivational speaker, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. It's only until we hate the darkness that we will deal with the pain of turning to the light. The fourth reason why some people don't want to get better is because, believe it or not, there are some perks to being sick. There are some perks to being sick. The first is this. There is catered care. Catered care. Back in Oakdale, I told this to the brethren in Africa, and I can only imagine how spoiled I sounded. Back in, back in home in Oakdale, when I get sick, I'll tell you what it's like. My grandma comes over. She makes me my favorite food. She, makes me, she brings me my favorite drinks. And it's all bedside. You'd think it's room service, really. And this is going to sound bad. So when I'm there and I'm sick, what she'll do, she'll take a blanket and she'll have it washed. She'll put it in the dryer. And she'll get the blanket nice and hot and warm. She'll put some socks in there. And you know what she'll do? She'll come over. She'll put the blanket over me. And she'll put the socks on. And I'm just spoiled rotten, rotten, rotten. That all changed when I turned 25. So, pity me. When we get sick, as you guys can see, as we can hope I'm being dramatic, as we can see, though, with this example, when you get sick and when I get sick, there's some catered care. We get spoiled. And some people, like myself, want to milk that for whatever it's worth. It feels good, doesn't it? That's how it is with some people spiritually. They're treated differently when you're spiritually sick. You don't have to do certain things. There is a lowered expectation. When I'm sick, I don't have to go to work. I don't go to school. I don't have to go to the family function. I don't have to do chores. I don't have to do none of that because everyone knows he's sick. Why ask him? Why bother him? He can't. It's the same way spiritually. When someone's spiritually sick, they're handled with kid gloves. And you know what? Who's going to talk to them about showing up late? Because we're just happy they showed up. Who's going to bring up they got this sin in their life? Because we don't, wanna, we don't, we don't expect much. We're not going to ask this person to host the study or to host the preacher because we don't put that expectation. So we see... We know how it is when we're physically sick. The same applies when we're spiritually sick. There is catered care and a lowered expectation. Now, those are just a few reasons 
why Jesus' question is brilliant and wise and not so silly after all. In verse 7, the story picks up and says, The sick man answered him. Jesus said, Do you want to be made well? He says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. What do you think about this response? It seems valid, right? Let me remind you, Jesus didn't ask this. Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? That's a yes or no question. This man, he responds, you know what he says? I can't. I can't. It's other people's faults. They get in before me. No one helps me. It's all their fault. I can't do this by myself. I'm not a psychologist, but I can defer to some. One psychologist said this, as psychiatrists, we cringe whenever patients use the word can't. They say, for example, I just can't get along with my husband. My husband and I just can't communicate. I can't seem to discipline my children the way I should. I can't give up the affair I'm having. I can't find a job. I can't stop overeating. I can't love my wife. I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients be honest with themselves and use language that expresses the reality of the situation. So we have our patients change their can'ts to won'ts. Let's substitute the word won't in each of the statements. I won't respect my husband. I won't communicate with my wife. I won't discipline my kids. So on and so forth. He ends with this. If an individual changes all his can'ts to won'ts, he stops avoiding the truth, quits deceiving himself, and starts living in reality. The reason why there are many Christians who are spiritually weak and sick is because they say, I can't. I've already tried. And this translates to, I won't. I won't. And it's until then that we confess that, then we will be on the right track to improve. He ends off by saying something rather interesting. The Christian who continually fails is without excuse. He is defeating himself. He is his own worst enemy. The Christian who is depressed is depressed because he is choosing, either out of ignorance of the word or else on purpose to be depressed, choosing not to live by God's principles. Yes, there are certain people where depression is a disease. You can't help it. But if we were honest with ourselves, there are many people who use this as an excuse. As Christians, we can't say, I can't grow, I can't stop sinning. The problem is, we don't want to keep trying. And we've got to avoid a negative mindset. Now, in John 5 and 8, Jesus responds to this man and he says the following, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus completely ignores the excuse given 
by this man. And we should do the same today when people give excuses. There's wisdom in this. Jesus says, if you really want to get better, rise up and take up your bed. You know what's interesting to me? Like Jesus' question, Jesus knows past, present, and future. He's healed many people. Sometimes he would heal people with a touch. Sometimes they were with him. Sometimes they were miles away. And they were healed in an instant. Other times, he could just speak a word. Sometimes he was in the same room. Sometimes they were far away. And they were healed in an instant. But he doesn't do that on this occasion. He heals this man in a very specific way. He says, if you want to get better, I'm not doing this for you. You've got to take accountability. You've got to rise up. You've got to take the first step, literally and metaphorically. I'm not going to do this for you. And it's the same way when we're spiritually sick. There's nothing we, you could do for me or I could do for you. We've got to be the ones to take the first step in our lives. How does this man respond? And immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Put yourself in this man's shoes. 38 years he's been sick. 38 years he's been dependent on other people. He's been sitting by the pool. He's been sitting there, hopeless, nearly, on his last effort, his last wish, and all in an instant, he had no hope, he was helpless, but then Jesus, Jesus came into his life and it changed everything. He was healed, his life was never going to be the same and for the better. And he allowed that to happen, he wanted that to happen, but he had to take the first step. And Jesus is willing to help you and me the same way today, but he's not going to do it differently. The Bible says in another place, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. The problem is not Jesus' willingness. The problem is our desire to get better. Jesus can't heal everybody. In fact, he hasn't been healing everybody because not everybody lets him. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, perhaps the saddest verses of all the Bible, it says this, Jesus, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I came to help. I wanted to heal you. I wanted to give you the tender love of a mother, but you didn't want it, and you rejected it, and I'm not going to force myself upon you, is what he's saying. The man at the pool, it was his lucky day. He reached one. He faced one who was willing, and it was the perfect combination because the man was wanting. He wanted to be well, and in fact, Jesus heals him in an instant. Maybe you are here today and you are spiritually sick or struggling. 
What would you do? What could you do if you knew and if you know that this day you could be made better? You don't have to live the way you've been living. You don't have to experience the same sorrows you've been experiencing. You don't have to go to bed crying or feeling empty. You can have purpose. You can have a better hope. You can change your life forever. And his name is Jesus. He's available right now. He is available today. I tell you, Jesus said, arise and walk. I tell you something equally as beneficial. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Meet the good physician himself. He can heal us of all of our spiritual infirmities, our sins, and he can make us whole in about a second if we let him. If we let him and if we want him to. The question is, do we? Do we want to be made better? The story ends. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, verse 14, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Don't you think being paralyzed for 38 years is pretty bad? What's worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Yes, there's being physically sick, but it ends. Being spiritually sick and not correcting it, it's forever. And it's worse in hell than on earth. Jesus says, don't sin, which implies it's possible to not sin. If you don't fix this, he says, something worse is coming. Something worse is coming. Are we willing to fix this? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Maybe you're here and you are still spiritually sick, never having come into contact with the blood of Jesus. The Bible says all someone needs to do to be saved is to hear the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We must repent. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. That's just a fancy way of saying, saying we got to change. We got to fix our lives. We have to confess. We are commanded to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Putting our lives into the hands of the Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here, you've already done this, but you're still spiritually weak or sick. Do you want help? Are you willing? Because Jesus is wanting. We would love to help you in either way today. If there's one of either class, please come while we stand and sing this song of invitation. Watch and wash away.